Digital intercourse. Shit, this is like a magic goddamn <laughs> wizard pill. Yeah. That's my pappy clap. Come on. We're gonna use a condom. Yeah. Digital intercourse. A nun comes in and slaps the shit out of you. Yeah. I had far less penis than I had when I went in. <laughs> Digital intercourse. Does she show a titty afterwards? Come on. Pop all chlamydia sitting on the rocking chair. <laughs> Digital intercourse. The world is an ending and women have vaginas. <laughs> but it was the day that I learned girls don't pee out of their butt. Well, hey, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to an episode of Digital Intercourse. I am Tom, I mean, Lauren Turner, and I'm here with my responsibly sexy co-host, Tom King. Thank you. <laughs> That's my Lauren impression is I just, I'm real sassy and I snap a few times. It was good. Yeah. It was really good. Um, welcome to our 50th episode. Whoa! That feels legit. It, yeah, it feels good. Yeah, I've like been it. doing this for a minute. So, this might be kind of an odd way to celebrate, but <laughs> <laughs> we feel that this is the most us way to do it. Um, and we're doing something really amazing today. So, our guest on this episode of Digital Intercourse is Tom King. That's me. Bow, bow, bow. I'm Tom King. Tom King, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. That's yes. what people say. You're welcome. It's delightful to meet it's you. Delightful to meet you. <laughs> this is gonna be a fun episode. And by fun, I mean really awkward. <laughs> it's gonna be an important conversation, but a a difficult conversation that I think uh, society needs a little more of. Uh, there's also going to be jokes. <laughs> Typically, uh, child molestation jokes are just done by people who did not experience it. They're just being crude and shot comics. Uh, I experienced it, and I'll tell my story anyway I damn well please. <laughs> and there's going to be some jokes. <laughs> 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 snap, snap. Well, uh, so that kind of gives us a good hint about what we're going to talk about. Today. Yeah, it's a hint in that I flat out said <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we're going to talk about the time I was sexually abused as a first grader. Yeah, so you came to me after our voice article came out and you were like, hey, this happened to me and I have to share it. And I was like, okay, <laughs> let's do this. And yeah. it's a huge thing, and I respect you a lot for doing it. Uh, it. It's it's a little scary. This is something that, first of all, I have not told very many people. I can count on one hand the number of people I've told. Uh, my father is not one of those people. He's deceased, so I'll never tell him. He knew about it. I told my mother. Uh, so he knew, and I, but uh, he and I never had a specific conversation about it. Uh, maybe before I told you... You were the fourth person in my life I've ever told. Wow. Yeah. So this is... And that includes my mother. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's been a huge secret. Yeah, it's it's not something... I, I think that's uh, part of sexual abuse, probably uh, for someone of any age. Uh, but specifically for me, this was... Uh, it was a shame issue. I didn't want other people to know that this happened to me. Yeah, because there's definitely stigma about... Yeah. You feel... Even if you know... It's fucking gross. Yeah. Journalization yeah. is gross. Yeah. And I don't want to be a part of something that fucking disgusting. Even though it's... I mean, it's not on me. I certainly am not at fault here, of course. 
but I just don't want to be involved in that. And no one should want to be involved in that, but there you go. And that you have the, the aspects of how shameful sex is in general. Lucy and Ricky weren't allowed to even sleep in the same bed. <laughs> right, like don't even touch. Don't let them see you together. Uh, yeah, so we just have a huge stigma around all sorts of sexuality. Uh, and that's part of what we do here. This is the Anti-Stigma Podcast. Stigma, stigma busters. Yeah. I'll get it Shame out. busters. Shame busters. Yeah, shame busters. Both work. Uh, and I'm really, I've really been encouraging people to, to get out there and tell their story. Uh, I think it's important to do that. And then I realized I'm a fucking hypocrite and a coward if I don't tell my story. <laughs> uh, and so I can, I can either be part of the change I want to see in the world, like a fucking hippie, or... <laughs> Or I can be a little chicken shit and keep my secrets. And Tom I Gandhi over here. Tom Gandhi! What was that moment like when you were like, oh, fuck, I gotta tell this story? Uh, it, was, it was not a moment. It was a series of moments. Uh, it started with Me Too. Uh, and when I noticed so... I was genuinely shocked by how many women that are friends of mine on social media um, that I saw... You know, commenting on that, and yeah. and of all ages, and I don't just mean the age that they were at the time. I mean the ages at the time of their abuse. Right. That was pretty shocking, and I wanted to in that moment. I wanted to say me too and tell my story, but I was like, Ed, this is a lot of like women, typically adult women. Like I don't want to like crowd the area and be like, oh yeah, men get abused too, y'all or not. But I was like, I'll wait. Uh, it gave me an excuse to wait. I've been waiting for a long time. You're like, time. oh, I, guess I shouldn't. I really shouldn't. Yeah. It's not about me. Uh, but, I mean, it is. I, I think Me Too is more than just adult women who have been raped. Yeah. Even though that's incredibly important for them to tell their story, it's important for everyone that's been sexually abused to tell their story. Um, and it's, it's, it just is. Because I, people that do this, Nick Limbarakis, by the way, is the guy that, that molested me. And he is uh, the Nick Limbarakis from Hackerberg, Alabama. Please do not confuse him with any other Nick Limbarakai. <laughs> uh, he's the only one I've ever met. Uh, he's the only one that ever molested me, and it terrifies me to say this, but he probably molested other people after me. I mean, people that do that simply don't do it one time, especially when you do it when you're 12, and that's how old he was. I was in first grade. He was 12 at the time. Uh, yeah. he could, uh, So when you told me, we can get more into details. Him being 12, I'm like, I... I hope there's hope that gives me hope actually that maybe he didn't offend after you. Uh, there's no hope. I have no hope of that, and it's because of who his family is and how how they are. But yeah. we'll get into that more in details. Uh, his family can go straight to fucking hell. Yeah, I agree. I'm just uh, I'm not trying to defend. I know you're not. Levels. I know you're not. But I'm. I'm yeah. There's going to be moments in this conversation where you're going to get angry. Yeah. And that was one of them. Yep. Uh, because That's I know how weird. what how deeply and enable I now know didn't know at the time but I now know how profound of enabler his mother and his sister really are. So I think that also changes. Yeah, I don't have that information. Like, yeah. and so and that is all really new. Yeah, information. So do you want to talk about? Do you want to start at the beginning and kind of talk? And I'll ask you questions. Yeah, sure. Uh, so it started. Like I said, I was in first grade at the time, and so our, his mother and my mother worked together. Uh, they worked in retail. It was a place called Sparko. You remember Sparko? No, you don't, because they went out of business a long fucking time ago. 
Uh, they were a dollar store. So first of all, I grew up in Hackenberg, a very small, like a, a town in northwest Alabama with a population of about a thousand people. Very much Mayberry. Uh, and so they worked at the dollar store. And at that time, it was called Sparko. So we would go there after school, and we would play. We would play in the store. We would go in the back, uh, and we would just we were just kids, and we would play because our parents were at work, and we had to play until they got off work. Uh, and there would be times where we found like this little secret place, like in the in the storage. Like you, oh, in the back. We don't have it out front. Let me go check in the back. We go in the back. Uh, and there was like one little secret corner in there where we would just we would go play. At this point, nothing sexual is happening. Uh, we're just going to play, and he wanted me to know like nobody can know about this place. Don't tell anybody about this little secret place. This is just for us. Mm. Uh, Grooming. Yeah, that's exactly like, what let's it was. Let's learn that let's learn that we can keep secrets together. Right. And I had forgot that that happened until I started talking to you about this and you asked me about grooming. I was like, oh yeah, that probably happened. I didn't remember how. And I started like, so I had, I recovered memories that I had completely suppressed uh, through talking to you about this. That's amazing. Does it make you kind of anxious about what else you might find out? Are you having any anxiety about that? A little bit. Um, or the discomfort you feel when they do come up. I, I imagine it's not a fun experience. What time is it? <laughs> oh, it's about beer 30. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to drink a few beers talking about this. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there's a little a little anxiety, especially when, like, you're thinking about stuff that I had forgotten. Um, you hear about repressed memories, and then you realize, oh, shit, I've got a few of those myself. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of where this whole things started. It, and the thing, I mean, me being able to talk about it uh, to other people. So it happened in first grade, and then if we're going to fast forward uh, to eighth grade, maybe ninth grade, uh, I was in a health class in school, and the teacher was saying, you know, that sexual abuse is a thing, you need to report it if anything happens to you, and like one in five kids are molested, or I don't, I don't, I don't remember the statistic, we'll probably, do you, did you look those up? Um, I know we're talking about that a little bit. One in five girls and one in 20 boys, but I think that is old. That's old. And again, that's just what gets reported. Yes, it's severely uh, underreported. Yeah. Because um, we talked about also it's almost always someone you know. Right. 93% of victims know their accuser. Right. And so there's a lot of reasons in those situations to not ever say anything. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so that happened, and we got those statistics, and she was, it was the whole thing about kids getting molested, and I was leaving that classroom, and I, I was just thinking that that's horrifying. Oh, my God. I'm so glad nothing like that ever happened to me. And then I realized, oh, fuck, that did happen to me. Not only had I repressed those memories, but at the time that it was all happening, I didn't know the world, did not know the word molested. So I never attached that mm. word to those offense until that moment. Yeah. What, how did that change things for you? It didn't change it much because I went right back into repressing everything. Yeah, like, oh, get back down. Get back <laughs> because, down there. I mean, especially in a small town. Now, and this is true anywhere in, in America, but I think it's maybe a little more true in small towns where you, sex is such a taboo. 
Mm-hmm. We, we're, we, we put so much shame to it in any aspect of it that you, it's private, you just don't talk about it. And that mentality is what makes it possible for sexual predators to be sexual predators. Right. By not talking about it. And I feel like this is why we both feel so passionate about doing what we're doing with this podcast. Right. Because if you don't talk about it, you don't normalize it, then abuse happens. People are manipulated. They are abused, put in bad situations. Like, we have to start talking about this stuff and letting kids know, like, it's okay to ask questions and, like, talk about it. But it is, it's deep in Southern culture. No, it's take the word American Southern culture. out of that sentence. Yeah. It's deep in culture. And I don't even know that it's American. Yeah. I mean, yes, because we live in America, we can speak more to that. But, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know that it's different in Japan, South Korea, Australia. Like, I yeah. mean, this is... Yeah, I would say it's a small percentage of the world where yeah. it's not completely, like, a shameful thing. Yeah. So, but it's so awful. I mean, fuck, can you imagine the amount of sexual abuse that happens in Saudi Arabia? Like, this ain't still a wealthy country, but we know how, what a dominant theocracy that place is. Yeah, I So, yeah, know. so just the silence of it, the silence needs to be broken. Yeah. The more we talk about things and the more we mention these people's names, the less people can continue to be sexual predators. Uh, so, it happened to me... He, he also, like, lived down the street, or maybe his grandparents lived down the street from me, because I think his mom lived somewhere else. So he would come over to our neighborhood and play. And so I wanted to go out and play with the big kids. Uh, like I said, he was 12. I was first grade, so what is that, six years old? Yeah. Now, remembering this, uh, I was talking to you about this earlier, and I said he was 10th or 11th grade. Uh, I talked to my mom. I called my mom earlier this afternoon to ask her some specifics. Uh, and that's when she told me he was 12. Uh, which was pretty shocking to me, but also like how you can, how differently you can remember things. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things, the thing that angers me most uh, is how people question accusers whenever someone finally comes out and tells their story. Uh, and they want to like, oh, this detail and that detail. Like uh, Christine Blasey Ford was like, well, she didn't even remember what house it was. It was three streets over. Fuck you. Fuck you and everything you stand for. That's not a detail that is relevant to her memory of that event. I can't tell you what time of year it happened. I can't tell you how many months it went on. I couldn't tell you how old he was, but I can remember what his dick smells like. And that shit ain't any fun. So there's details that you'll never forget, but there's a lot of details that you're going to get. And when you start talking this to people, they're going to ask you things and say, Oh, well, fucking clearly you're lying. Because those people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Right. Because when your brain is making memories under this the stress of trauma, it's not going to be like a linear like story that you can tell coherently. Right. And, I mean, come on. That's just common sense. I don't think you have to be from like a mental health background <laughs> to understand that shit. Right. Um, and so, yeah, like, of course, you were so young, too. It's like... Of course, it's all going to be a little... I don't remember shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, no details. And people... Can you imagine doing this in front of a congressional committee? Fuck that. Like, actually, it's just such a... 
if someone's willing to do that and all the abuse they take when they come forward, what do they have to gain? Why lie? Nothing. Right. She had absolutely nothing to gain. And what do you have to gain? Still nothing. Like even, probably no one that knows Nick Lynn Baracus will even hear this podcast. Yeah, as far as but even down. even right. if they did, like there's nothing I'm gonna benefit from this. No, it's just people need to tell their story. Yes, and that's, we need that's to the benefit them if we need. Willing to do it. Yeah, always believe the accuser because the the amount of times that they're lying to get revenge on somebody for this or that uh, is minute. It's not even relevant. I don't care. Frankly, I don't care. I don't fucking care. Because <laughs> we have taken up for the accused for so long that if that pendulum swings a little too far in the other direction and a few innocent people get accused and lose their reputation over it, I don't fucking care. Yeah. And if I'm one of those people, I still don't fucking care. Yeah. I mean, it is always complicated. But I feel like we do have to start erring on the other side because statistically, that's the way it goes. Yeah. It'll, it'll all balance out, but what we've been doing is not working, yeah. and something has to change. Uh, so him living, or his grandparents or somebody living down the street, <clears throat> meant that him and some of the older kids in the neighborhood would come out and play, and I would go out and play with them because we already knew each other from our parents working together and playing at the store. They would do weird shit. Just as kids, they would, they would crawl through the culvert, you know, like a culvert going under the road yeah. for drainage. But yeah. they would crawl through that. Mm-mm. And they'd be like, hey, Tom, you should crawl through it too. And I'm like, no, snakes. Like, I just saw you do it, but still, I'm afraid of snakes. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm really terrified that they were going to board up both ends and just leave me there. Because <laughs> some of his friends were kind of bullies. Yeah, you were like, I'm not like, playing around with you all. Yeah, like 12 and 13-year-olds with a first grader, like, they're going to bully you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, but he would he would kind of take up for me and not let the bullying get too bad, because he was my real friend. Oh my god, I feel like this was part of it too. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, are you just like thinking about this now? Like, oh my god. Yes, because I never thought about grooming until you said that recently. Yeah, and then I started thinking about all this. Uh, so then, so we we were in Taekwondo classes together. I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle. So I took Taekwondo <laughs> classes. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, and so he started taking them too after I'd already been in it for a while. And we were at we were at a Taekwondo class and we were getting ready to go in. And there's nobody else in, in this little kind of like dressing area uh, except my, me and him, maybe a couple of the kids. And he's telling me this really funny story. He went up behind uh, somebody and like gave him like a bear hug and picked up our, no, somebody came behind him and picked him up in like a bear hug thing and he said, uh, that person, the person that picked him up, said, you're heavy. And then Nick turned around and said, you're horny. And then he laughed. And I laughed because the cool older kid told a joke. I had no idea what being horny meant. But I knew. Really, but it's hilarious. <laughs> I knew it was funny, so I laughed. Then after the class, we're getting ready. Uh, my mom is there. And he comes around and he picks me up in a bear hug. And he said, you're heavy. And I said, you're horny. And then I got in trouble for saying you're horny. And my mom was like, don't talk like that. Put your shoes on. We got to go. What's wrong with you? And that was it. She never said anything else about it. It was just a little bit. You were in trouble a little bit. Like, ooh, that was not the thing to say in front of my mom. I right. know that now. Right. <laughs> and that was a part of grooming. 
because he's now seeing if I get in trouble for something he did, am I going to rat on him? Yeah. And I didn't. And that's when, after that, is when it started. Wow. Yeah, because you were telling me all these different aspects, but I didn't connect the dots. Right. I didn't either until you started asking me about grooming. So when the abuse started happening would be when my mom was driving us to karate classes. Because he would go over to his grandparents' house, spend the night with there on karate nights. And we would drive up there together. Uh, and so it would start, so we're in the back seat of like you know, just my mom's car. And then he would like put his hand and like grab my butt. And he would just like fondle me. It started there and then it proceeded to oral sex. Uh, he would perform it on me and I would perform it on him. And he told me uh, that if I swallowed his cum. First of all, I just realized he was coming at 12. That seems a little young. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, uh, but he told me. Well, he already had advanced pedophile skills. Right, that's true. Child molester. I, we're going to get into that later. We're going to get into that later. But no, he was. Uh, he had advanced grooming child yeah, abuse skills. Yeah, he was. Uh, a natural, apparently. Jesus. Uh, I don't know that he was natural. I assume he, he was probably abused. Yeah. Uh, and that may have started it for him. Which has also given me pause as part of what makes me uncomfortable around children is wondering if I've picked it up because I was abused. Uh, now, I understand child molesters are not vampires. Like, they don't bite you and now you're one. <laughs> uh, but I have thought about that a lot and I've come to terms with that. No, I'm not at all sexually attracted to children, which is great to find out. Yeah, I'd be interested to know what the statistics are. Yeah. I don't know what they are, but a percentage of them who were abused or... I don't know. Uh, so, he told me if I swallowed his cum, it would make me grow faster. And then I would end up going, like, at home, away from him, just on a random night at home, like, measuring myself to see if I was getting bigger, and then running into the living room and asking my mom, like, am I growing? Am I getting a lot bigger? And, of course, she has no idea what I'm being told. She just sees a young kid that's, that's wanting to grow, and she's like, yep, yeah, you're just growing like a weed. But she's reinforcing that behavior right. without even realizing You're it. like, well, I better keep... Yeah. Doing this. Gotta keep on guzzling jizz. <laughs> I gotta suck way more dick. <laughs> You're like calling everyone. You're like, all right. I remember him teaching me how to give a blowjob uh, and how to not use your teeth. Which You're just a baby. is one of the reasons you should not have sex with children. Their mouths are too small. You can't fit it in there. Yeah. It's not the top reason. Probably not even in the top 100 reasons, no. but it's on the list. It's number 2,000 <laughs> on the list. Uh, but I never I never knew what this white goo was. That was what I called it, just this weird white goo. Uh, I never knew what it was, and I got really skeptical. I was already skeptical of the culvert, right? So I was a pretty kind of a paranoid kid. Right. And I remember there was a couple of times, like, I don't want to eat that. And, like, I would, I would be performing oral on him. And get him real close and pull out and go, no, I'm not going to finish. And like, ma I made him jack off in his hand and eat his own gum. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you got back him a couple of times at least. I was like, I, don't, I need to make sure you can eat it to make sure that it's okay to eat it. <laughs> that is so smart. You're like, science, bitch. Right. And, um, I have a hypothesis. So my mother was also very, very small town Christian conservative. Uh so when I called her today 
and started talking to her about this, she was telling me things that I had forgotten. Mm -hmm. One of them was once I finally broke down and told her what had been happening, and we had a bit of a conversation about it. Uh, because I was very much raised in church every Sunday, I told her when he started asking me to do things to him, uh, I didn't want to. I was very hesitant at first. And so I prayed about it. And God didn't say anything, so I went ahead and did it. Wow. I found that out this afternoon. <laughs> like, that's another one of those repressed memories that, like, knowing who I was as a kid at that time, like, that's exactly the type of thing I would have said. But I don't exactly remember saying it. Yeah, that's heavy. But now that she said that, I kind of do. You know, like, it's one of those things, like, am I remembering it because someone told me? Or am I really remembering it? it? Probably, I don't know. Yeah. But, Somewhere, yeah, I'm 100% certain I said that. Yeah, wow. How did that conversation go? Uh, the most awkward com possibly it could go. Because uh, you realize there's never a good time to have this conversation. Life does not hand us gift-wrapped opportunities to handle these types of difficult conversations. My stepfather, uh, my dad died a few years ago, and my mom remarried. Like, as an adult, he was dead. So my stepdad now has cancer, and they're going to Houston uh, to get the best cancer treatments you can find in America. They, re they landed there today. They drove. They didn't fucking fly. They're too scared to fly because they're from Hackleburg. <laughs> 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 but they, they arrived in Houston today, and so I called her when I got home from work. She was like, yep, we're just walking into Olive Garden, about ready to eat dinner. What you doing? <laughs> she didn't know why I was calling. Oh, so we had this conversation while she was ordering dinner at Olive Garden. <laughs> She's like, can I get some more breadsticks? I'm going to eat them. She was like, you used to work there. What do you want? What would you like to eat? And I was like, I don't know. Eggplant Parmesan, Mom. I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I got some other shit I got to talk to you about. Uh, yeah, so, it, so there was that. Where are we at in the story? Because <laughs> oh. I'm going to bounce around a lot. If you don't give me a timeline. That's true. So. So we were going to karate. Yeah, and, karate. We were, and we were. It would happen just in the back seat of the car yeah. quite often. Uh, and so I was talking to my mom today about stuff. And, she, and uh, I never talked to dad about it. So I asked her. You know what. What dad ever had to say about it. And dad always wanted an RV. But at the time couldn't afford one. So he bought a large Dodge van. And it was the type that like uh, had a bed in the back and a curtain. He bought a fuck wagon. It's what he bought. <laughs> My yeah. dad bought a fuck wagon and not because he knew it was a fuck wagon. No, he's too small town naive to have any idea of what he purchased. He was like, there's a bed. It'll be a good camper. Ding, ding, ding. And it was like that. <laughs> uh, so in the back there was a bed with a curtain. And we had been somewhere this is my mother retelling me the story. I remember this happening. I remember it being a karate tournament. Uh, but mother's saying that it, that it wasn't that, that because she wasn't there. Dad was driving, and it was me and Nick, Nick Limbaracas. I'm going to get not be able to say his last name, but I wanted to say his name like I was fucking him. Yes, <laughs> um, fuck him. So we're in the back in that bed and closed the curtain. Now, my mom, very much Christian conservative. My dad, very much a beer-drinking like Vietnam vet, they'll just trust you out for any reason. <laughs> and he would say, Open that goddamn curtain! What the fuck are y'all doing back there? <laughs> he has no idea what's actually going on back there. He's just annoyed that the curtain's closed and thinks, thinks we're gonna fuck up the van or something. 
He's uh, not my palace. Yeah. So he was really upset about it, uh, but didn't like know what was happening. Uh, and then later, my mom would be in the hospital for a couple of days, broke her arm. And while she's in the hospital, dad is kind of checking my homework, just seeing what I'm doing at school because I'm a little first grader. And he finds notes that I've written detailing what he did to me. This is the first that they've heard about it. So next day he goes up to the hospital and like shows it to her and says, what are we going to do about this? And my dad was a cop. My mother said, well, we know, what's her name? I don't remember her name. But we know this lady. She's a juvenile detention officer, and uh, we need to go talk to her. And Dad said, we're not going to go talk to her before we go talk to Thomas first. They didn't know how to have that conversation with me. These are two very small town, just big, and first of all, nobody knows how to have that conversation with your fucking child. No. Uh, so they it's didn't. It's the one you never, yeah. the ones you just never have to have. So, mother called his mom. His mom was her boss, by the way. Like, they weren't co-workers. She was the GM of the store, and mom was just a clerk at the time. So she called her at work. Uh, and it's like, I got to talk to you. It's about Nick and Thomas. And she and telling me this story this afternoon, my mother said she immediately got a little bit defensive and said, uh, well, I, I'm at work right now. You can come on up and talk to me in the office. And my mom told her, no, I'm not coming to work. I'll wait till you get home. You just call me when you get home and I'll come over. And she said, no, if you've got anything to tell me, you're not going to come into my house and tell me. You can come to work. Oh, shit. So she came to work. She said, all right. <laughs> if that's how you want to play it, fuck it, that's how we're playing it. Uh, so she went up to her place of employment and told her boss that her son had been molesting her son. Jesus. Uh, and Nick's mom's response, her name's Bonnie. Bonnie's response was, well, what do you expect me to do? Put him in uh, detention? Have him committed? What do you want me to do? find fucking something to do be a little bit worried uh and my mom's response was i don't know what to tell you to do i'm just going to tell you what happened and then they had a conversation and that conversation uh bonnie tells my mom that she everybody just hates him everybody wants to just see him put away everybody hates my poor son she was upset. It's the same thing you hear every time there's sexual abuse. You're going to ruin this poor man's reputation. It's the same fucking thing you hear all the goddamn time. God. She had already pulled him out of a school in Bear Creek and brought him to do, go to school in Hackleburg. She didn't tell my mom why. She just said, I had to pull him out of Bear Creek because everybody hates him and I brought him. that's why I brought him to Hackleburg. Well, fuck, well, that's why. Yeah. He was molesting kids in Bear Creek. And, and she had him oh in therapy. God. She had. She told my mom that day that he was going to see a psychiatrist. He had been for a while. Here's what pisses me off about Bonnie. So at this point, he quit going to karate. I never saw the kid again. My mom completely separated us at that moment. Yeah. At the, even at this moment, I had still not told my. I had not told my mother. They just saw what was in the notebook. But I, as a kid, did not know they had seen that. So they're handling this and still not sure how to talk to me about it. So I don't know that they know. 
I just know that he quit karate. But I don't care. I'm a kid. I like karate. Great. Let's go be Ninja well, Turtles. Well, okay. <laughs> Bye. Uh, so, but before that, we'd had a lot of interactions. We'd had, you know, in the backseat of the car, in the van. Probably stuff happened in, in the store, but I don't remember that. I vaguely remember that that's where the secret started. But at one point, I spent the night with him. Like, went to his house and spent the night. And I remember asking him if we were going to have sex. I wanted to have sex with him. I was really adamant I wanted to have sex with him. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. I had no fucking no idea. idea what sex was. Like, you lay on top of each other and move around a little? Yeah. That's all like I knew. That's all I knew. I, was, I thought he was going to teach me. Yeah. Uh, he didn't do it. He was never interested in anything more than oral. But here's why... I learned this afternoon to despise his mother with a purple passion. She'd already pulled him out of one school. She already had him in therapy. And she allowed a young boy to come into her house and sleep in the room with him. Yeah, what? Knowing what she fucking knew. What in the fuck? Fuck mom. Yeah. Fuck her. Like, you don't... Even if you can't figure out what to do... Right. You still know not to fucking do that. You know not to let other little boys around it. Right. You can at least stop anything else. Now, again, at the it. time I spent the night with them, that was before my parents found the notes. So they had no idea anything was happening. Right. But she But Bonnie knew. fucking did. Bonnie knew all about it and let it fucking happen. Mm. How are you feeling about all that? Angry as fuck. Yeah. Like I told you earlier that I, that I can still remember the way his dick smelled. Yeah. Here's what's fucked up about that. It feels like pleasant childhood nostalgia. Mm. Immediately followed by fucking rage. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mixture of that. Nostalgia and rage. That's how I feel. And, and you know how your brain works? Just memories pop in your head sometimes when you didn't ask for them. Just, no. oh, hey, you remember that? Oh, fuck you. <laughs> really? God damn it. I was really not trying to think about that shit today. I'm at work, brain. Go to hell. <laughs> yeah. I don't need this. Uh, so, so, yeah. So, once they found the notes, mom talked to, to Bonnie. He quit going to karate and I never saw him again. But my parents, like I said, still hadn't talked to me. Then later, my mom is looking through my homework. And I've been drawing a bunch of peckers. Me and another friend of mine at school, like another first grader, just a, just a genuine friend of mine, uh... We just thought it was really funny to draw dicks. <laughs> and we drew them all over my I mean, notebook. And we was like, that's a wiener. That's a pee-pee. And we just, you know, all the little first grade. Yeah. It was hilarious. <laughs> uh, and then my mom saw that and immediately started crying. Uh, now, up until today, every time I've told that story, I thought, oh, look at how my fucking Christian conservative mother was so horrified at a little penis now I realize she already knew I was getting molested, and now she sees me drawing a bunch of dicks. Right. She's like, oh, this is affecting him. We were trying to see what would happen, and oh, shit. Yeah. Like, it's coming up. Yeah. And so we had a conversation about it. I thought I was going to be in huge trouble. I was in a little trouble. Like, she made it clear, like, this is not a thing you should be doing. Let's not do this. But also, she asked me, does this have anything to do with you hanging out with Nick Limbaracus? Now, even though I hadn't seen him in, I don't know when, maybe a week, maybe a day, I don't remember the timeline, uh, I still considered him a friend. I still knew that I had to keep our secrets. 
and I didn't want him to get in trouble. So I said, no, it had nothing to do with him. This is just, this is just me and a friend from school just drawing wieners. Sorry, I'll pray about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was pretty much the end of that. Yeah, and it's interesting because when we talked about this yesterday, we both were like, why did she go straight to that? And that's why, that's one of the things I asked her today. Like I called her and, and asked her about that. And she didn't remember the drawings. Okay. She didn't remember asking me if it had anything to do with hanging out with him. She didn't have that memory. Well, you did. Mm-hmm. And uh, and still, so at that point, I was still covering for him, still lying. But that had nothing yeah. to do with him. I mean, that's how it goes. Then later on, uh, I was in PE class. Now, uh, because I grew up in Alabama, we had PE class in a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I hate I hate to reinforce stereotypes yeah. here. Uh, this is why you all are. This is one of the reasons Alabama's with Oklahoma is like in obesity rates. Yes. <laughs> Interesting mobile home trivia because my stepdad is in the mobile home hall of fame. What a start! I know this to be a fact. Alabama is the state that produces the most manufactured homes in America. The state that purchases the most mobile homes in America is Oklahoma. <laughs> so, yes, that makes sense. We are joined at the fucking country of hips. Yes, we are. We are not above you in any way. Uh, so we're in a trailer. It's because it's raining outside. We can't go outside and play. We're in a trailer. Uh, and I'm talking to my friend, the pecker drawing friend. And uh, I said, can you keep a secret? He's sitting right in front of me. We're all in desks, like old schoolhouse desks. He's sitting right in front of me. I said, can you keep a secret? And he said, Yes. And I pulled my pants down and showed him my dick. And immediately he stood up and yelled at the teacher, Tom's got his dick out! (laughs) Or pulled his pants out. He didn't use the word dick. He said Tom pulled his pants down. Like, I said a secret, motherfucker. What? I was so betrayed. Uh, And then, like when my mom came to pick me up, like the teacher was like, you got to come inside. We got to talk about this. Uh, And that is the only reason I know that I was in first grade. Because I remember, I remember that conversation with my first grade teacher. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, I didn't remember his age. I probably wouldn't remember my age either. Right. At least not that, that specifically. I'm sure that stuck with you. Yeah. So I remember that conversation with my first grade teacher. Uh, then we went home, and my mom asked me again, does this have anything to do with you hanging out with Nicklin Baracus? And at that point, I said yes. And I, and I like, and, and she said, Okay, what happened? And I said, well, just sometimes he would suck mine and I would suck his, and that's what happened. And I still think I'm in trouble. Uh, and she did a really good job trying to reassure me, you didn't do anything wrong. He, he's wrong. You, you didn't do anything wrong. You don't need to feel like you're in trouble because you're not. Uh, she was really good in that moment about saying that. And being trying to be as comforting as she could while she's going through God knows what. <sighs> yeah. When your child tells you that, I can't imagine how that makes you feel. Yeah. Uh, and so we had a conversation, and at some point she said, "Do you want to tell a judge what he did to you?" Oh. She asked that to a first grader. Right. You don't want to talk to anyone about it right now. Right. <laughs> like. Because there's still. Shame and secrecy, and in a small town, and even at that young age, not only am I, first of all, scared of judges, I've seen Matlock. Courtrooms are scary. <laughs> like, no, that seems serious. Uh, 
<laughs> and I didn't like it. I didn't like Matlock or Perry Mason, and that was the only fucking thing I knew about a courtroom. <laughs> like, I will not be cross-examined. No. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't want everyone to know. It's a small town. Everyone knows everyone's business, and you can't hide from it. When a story like that gets out, you're not hiding from it. Everywhere you go, every time you leave your house, everyone you see knows what happened to you. Yeah. And I understood that even at that young age. Right. I was like, no, I don't want that at all. And she said, okay, I won't make you if you don't want to. If you change your mind, let me know. And that was the last we spoke of it. Yeah, that's hard because it's just like, what do you do to combat that? Right? Yeah. That's a very real thing. Because even if you, I feel like people just don't know how to handle people that have been through something like that. They don't. Yeah, and it's because they just have no of, idea. It's because of the silence. Yeah. We have shame on any kind of sex, especially sexual abuse. It is a super uncomfortable situation. It is super gross. But that's why we've got to talk about it. Because yeah. the more silence we have, the more easily it is. That's how these people operate. These people operate in secrecy. The more we can remove that secrecy, the less freedom they have to roam. Yes. And pray on people. Put them on blast. And believe abusers. I believe the abused. Believe yeah. the accusers. When someone says that something's happened to them, you got to believe them. I know, I understand, we cannot get a courtroom conviction without evidence. But a testimony is all we need to throw a yellow flag on somebody. Right. For everyone to at least be warned about yeah. what this person is and what they're about. Right. And that's that will get me into a rage quicker than anything else. People questioning, overly questioning someone? People questioning accusers, yes. Because you don't know how much that fear is crippling. And look, there's a lot of people that either as children or as adults immediately put their accusers on, or put their abusers on blast. God bless all of those people. Yeah. I wasn't one of them. Uh, that fear got the best of me, and it gets the best out of a lot of us. Yeah, there's no shame in it. Of course it did. Um, but we both, and here's why that happens. Every time, and especially, and I'll, I'll talk about Roy Moore specifically, because fuck him while we're at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fuck that guy. Any, but but anytime you have something to happen, especially when someone is coming out as an adult about something that happened when they were a child, or or Christine Blasey Ford, she was I don't know, well into her forties, talking about stuff that happened in high school or college. You always hear that. Well, why did they wait so long to come out? You, if you're asking that question, you are the reason they wait so long to come out, because they know people aren't going to believe them. There was a moment. So I, I told you a lot of the stuff that happened to me happened in the backseat of my mom's car while she was driving. Yeah. Uh, I told her that today because she was talking about, so my dad had the moment where we were in the back and he was yelling about the curtain. And she said that he felt guilty about that. He had no idea what was happening at the time. But later when he found out, he felt very guilty about that. And I, and I told my mom, I was like, well, you probably felt pretty guilty too with it happening in the backseat of the Chrysler. And she's like, oh yeah, I'd almost forgot about that day. That was when we pulled into the store, and and I'm hearing her like relay this story, and I realize she thinks it only happened once in the back seat of that car because I never really told her where it happened. I just told her what happened. Yeah. 
to this day, because I didn't tell her today. Yeah, I didn't change like, it. I, yeah. I didn't tell her that most of it happened in the backseat of that car while she was driving. But what she said was, we pulled over into a, we pulled over at some store to get gas or something, and when she got out, she looked in the back seat and she's like, something didn't look right. It looked like he was trying to hide something, but I couldn't tell what it was, and I thought then that maybe there was something sexual happening, but I wasn't totally sure. I couldn't I couldn't get a clear glimpse of it. I wasn't sure what was happening, and I knew. She said, I was afraid because I knew I couldn't go tell Bonnie. She's not going to believe me. Nobody's going to believe me if I say this. And my job would be in jeopardy. This is my boss's son. Not only is my job in jeopardy, but no one's going to believe me anyway. Which is even worse. And we had a conversation today, uh, a second conversation to her about Roy Moore because my mom is still a registered voter in the state of Alabama. <laughs> She did not vote for our current president. I won't. I want to put okay, that out there. <laughs> she's so very Republican, uh, but when like, even during the campaign, she's like, she's like, I just can't vote for. It. He's just so ugly to people. I can't understand <laughs> why anybody would put up with that. <laughs> um, but during, if we're gonna rewind before today, during the Roy Moore scandal, scandal yeah. uh, I was talking to her about it, and she said to me. I don't know why these women would wait so long to come out. And I fucking lost my shit. Now, my mom would get on to my dad when he said fuck. I cussed her like a fucking dog, and I said fuck a lot. (laughs) You were like, I'm getting in there extra deep with this. Yeah, I said fuck more than I usually do, and I love to say fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I just was screaming at her, because they're fucking scared. That's why they didn't do it. Like, you have no idea what it's like to be a teenager. Like, and this wasn't, he was a judge or a district attorney. Yeah. I forget what his position was, like, when some of these, like, started happening. But, like, nice. not only is he a respected member of the community and an adult, but nobody believes accusers anyway, regardless of who they're accusing or regardless of who they are. Right. We always take up for the abuser. Every fucking time. And that's why it happens. That's why people don't come forward because they know people aren't going to believe them. And I told her that today, and she, I reminded her of that today because she said to me uh, to, in today's conversation that there would be things that would come up in the news about sexual abuse, and I would say something about you know why would they wait this long, and you would you would lash out at me, and she said I could tell there was a fire burning inside you, but I didn't know how to help you. Uh, and I told her today, I was like, well, you let that. Um, you lit that. You poured gasoline on that fire when you said that shit about Roy Moore. Right. And I cussed your ass like a dog, and I felt bad about it, but you deserved it. Yeah, like you knew. Uh, and she what? Was, yeah. What I didn't really tell her today, but kind of what I thought about and realized. Anytime someone says that, why did they wait so long? Why did this? Why did that? Anytime you're overly questioning or even slightly questioning the accuser unless you are an actual judge in a court of law when you don't believe the accuser what you're telling everyone that you know because there are people that you know that have been abused that you don't know they were abused because they haven't come out with it yet and what you are saying when you ask those questions to everyone that you know is that they can't fucking trust you yeah if they try to tell that story you're going to turn their back on them and with that fire that she was seeing all those times in that fire that she very clearly heard 
when I was talking to her about Roy Moore, was feeling betrayed by my own fucking mother in the most vulnerable moment of my life. And I get real fucking passionate about that shit. Yes. Like, of course. You're like, are you know, and you know how painful this has been. I'm so and that's sorry. part of what kept me from coming out sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think I really realized it, but hearing my own mother say, why did they wait so long? And, and you got to remember, I had, what, seven, eight years of repressed memories where I couldn't come out. And now I'm a high schooler that's able to kind of watch the news and kind of understand what's going on. And then hearing my mother's, that be her reaction to it, knowing that I can't trust her if I decide to tell my story now. And knowing not only, even if I feel like my mother has my back, I know that she's speaking for a much larger society. Yeah. That it's not just her. That if I come out, everyone is going to say the same thing about me that they're saying about these people, and no one's going to believe me either. And that's what makes it so dangerous for people to come out. I don't give a fuck how long it's been. I'm happy that I'm actually able to tell this to somebody. Yes. I am so proud of you. Because you had to overcome so much, like, shit. Like, you're talking about just the even connecting the dots. And by the time you could, it was... Too old. It had been years. Yeah. Like, no, and... At that point, it's not happening to you anymore. You're just trying to live a normal high school life. Right. You know? You're not trying to, like, raise any calling attention to yourself. And at that point, like, we also didn't talk about service. There were no services. There was nothing, like, for people, really. <clears throat> if they'd been through things. Like, I guess there was some stuff, but it way more limited than it. Even at that time, we're talking about in the 90s. I mean, I graduated high school in 01. So even at that time, there might have been something. But what are you really going to get in a small town in a state that underfunds health care and education? Right. What are you possibly going to get? Right. Where are you going to get help? Anybody that you're going to talk to is going to be of that same mindset of my mother. Of let's keep the secret. Now, her stance on that, as it regards to me personally, was very much I don't want to further traumatize my kid. She didn't know what to do. Right. She's not what the shit I wanted to fucking watch. All she wanted, her only goal, and this is true of both of my parents, because she told me what dad had to say about it. Uh, their goal was what's best for me. What is not going to traumatize me further? Yeah. And I don't know that they're wrong for doing that. No. Part of me thinks they are because if they would have pushed it, we might have put a stop to him and maybe prevented him from abusing others. But at the same time, how do you really fault parents for doing what is best? It's like trying to protect their child. Right. Like you're not thinking about the broader societal cost of not coming forward. You're just trying, you're so scared about how this is going to affect them. You're just trying to white knuckle your way through that shit exactly as a parent it's like oh my god I never thought this was going to happen so yeah and I asked her because like I said she asked me if I want to tell a judge I said no and we never spoke of it again right and I asked Ray like why did you not like check on me make sure I was feeling okay make sure I was handling this girl and she's like you're a happy kid I wasn't going to bring this up and pound you in the face with this uh, you know to an otherwise happy kid 
And how could you? If you're that parent and you see your kid is, doesn't seem to be bothered by it, they don't bring it up. They're living their life and, and yeah. they're a happy kid and you want to throw this in their face? I mean, you, you probably should from like a, a mental health yeah. standpoint. You probably should. But I can totally understand if you don't know what to do. Yeah. Then People just don't yeah. fucking know. You do your best. You do your best to deal with the situation. Yeah. Unless you're fucking Nick Lamarcus's mom. Yeah. Bonnie. Fuck you, Bonnie. Yeah. Fuck Bonnie. You old bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we talked about... I asked her where he's at now. Did she know? She doesn't know. Okay. Uh, the last time she saw him... The last time she saw him was before the storm. So in 2010, Hackerberg got hit by an F5 tornado. Jesus. A town that small and the tornado that big, fucking everything's gone. There's no town. Yeah. Luckily, my mother's house was not hit. But fucking a lot of people's houses were. Every business in town was gone. Literally all of them. Even the school. Like everything. <laughs> everything was fucking gone. Jesus. Um, and she said the last time she saw him was before the storm. And she knew where he lived. He lived right behind the Panther Mart. The gas station in town. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Panther Mart. I love it. Uh, the high school mascot. I, was the that's Panther what I was going to ask. Right. Yeah. Makes so, sense. And that was the last time she saw him. But at the time, well, okay, so now, at some point he got married, and they had a son, and then at some point the mother was no longer in the picture. I don't, I don't know if it was divorce or she died, or I don't know what happened, but she was no longer in the picture, and he got sole custody of his son. At the time, his son was in first grade. Jesus Christ. Now the kid's fucking in high school. He's about to graduate. So whatever happened has already happened. It's too late to stop him now. Right. Oh but I would be shocked if he didn't fuck his son. Sole custody. Like, no one in the house but him and the kid. Yeah. Jesus. And now, I didn't know that at the time. I learned that today. But let's rewind 10 years and say I knew it then. And I come out to court and say, no, this kid, this man now, molested me. You cannot give him sole custody of his kid. How many people are going to say, well, why did you wait till now to come out? What are you trying to get out What do you have a vendetta against Nick LaMaracas? Like, yeah, I do, because of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is why. I want to ruin him. <sighs> so how are you feeling after talking about it? A little bit drunk. We drank a lot of beer tonight. <laughs> we have had a couple. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I still feel... <laughs> yeah. still feel a little rage. Uh, I still feel... Uh, and I told my mom. I was like, if you know where he's at now, if you ever find out where he's at, let me know. And she kind of laughed. And I was like, no, I'm serious. She was like, I'm serious too. I'm scared. I would be scared to tell you where he yeah, is. I would not tell you if I knew. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'd be like, yeah, I'd like to keep doing this podcast. It'll be hard while you're in prison. Right. Uh, I feel pretty confident that if I didn't know where he was, I wouldn't enact physical violence. But I would... Out take him. A, yeah. I would want to make sure that everyone he knows knows what type of person he is. Yeah. And I hope... That no one else has a similar story about that person. I know that's not true. 
because I know we already know what an enabler his mother is. Right. And my mom was telling me that the last time like she was in Hackerberg and, and saw those people, uh, along for many years, my mom and Bonnie had no relationship at right. all. Uh, they have since mended bridges enough to where like they can be cordial if they see each other in public. But that's about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, his sister blames my mom and, and hates, she said she hates, my, my, his sister hates my mom. For what and every, reason? For trying to ruin her brother's reputation. Jesus she said, Christ. anytime I've seen her in public since that, since that time up until, you know, a few years ago, fairly recently, anytime I've seen her, she'll just stare holes in me. How old was, how much older is his sister? Do you know? I don't know. I never met his sister for some, or I don't remember meeting his sister. That's so bizarre. Yeah. Like, how old could she have been? It's like you're not questioning your interpretation of this as a child at right. all. Right. Jesus. And that Nick Lebrakis himself has seen my mom in public in Hackerberg a few times and just said, hey, Joanne, and tried to talk to her like nothing fucking happened. OMG. She's like, I'll ignore him. Like, she's just sitting there ignoring him in a silent fit of rage. Like, oh. how dare you even make an attempt to be pleasant to me? How dare you even approach me? Right. You should leave when I walk in. Right. <laughs> you should fucking leave. You should not be in the same space as me. That is wild. Yeah, I hope you don't find him. I'm not going to help. <laughs> you find him. I don't. I mean, I, I really have. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I will say... Uh, I think he entered the military after 9-11 because I remember my parents, and this is probably the only time we've talked about it since first grade when I was in college, like 2003 maybe, and uh, I don't know why it came up, but they came to visit me, uh, and his name came up, and I didn't think about it. I had never had this thought before, but I just said, if I see him again, I'll fucking kill him. And my mom hates the F word. (laughs) She didn't say anything she about it that time. <laughs> yeah, she let that one slide. Yeah, fuck that guy. And my dad just gave me a look. I, like, his eyes got red. Like, he was about to cry, but also in a fit of rage. Like, he also wanted to kill that guy. <laughs> um, so how do you think this is affecting you? I mean, it's. I think you're just starting to maybe process parts of this, but how do you think it has affected you as an adult? Ah. <sighs> I think maybe as a younger adult, it's affected me more than now, even though I probably haven't totally grown out of stuff. But So even after he stopped going to karate stuff and I would go to like karate tournaments and, and things, uh, if I lost a tournament, my parents were kind of harsh on me. There was one time, and again, this is vague childhood memories, that I may have made these memories worse than they actually were. <laughs> Uh, but I remember losing. They were like, "How did you lose to a girl?" First of all, it's no contact sparring, so I don't know. I don't know what the fact that a, a two ten-year-old's boy and a girl have to do with the, with right. anything. Uh, it was like, I can't believe you lost to a girl. I can't believe I took a day off work to come watch you get your ass kicked. This is embarrassing. Uh, that type of shit. So, the fact that those like shame memories of I'm not good enough are connected to karate and getting molested and feeling really wanted and and happy in the moment when it was happening are also connected to karate. Now I get a little bit older, I'm in college. Also, I was never liked by girls. 
like as a kid. <laughs> like I remember one point in sixth grade, there was like a table full of girls at break. And I just went to sit down next to them and say hi and talk to all the girls. And every one of them just got up and left. <laughs> like, they're like, we don't want to talk to Thomas. He's the weird kid with the buck teeth. <laughs> Poor Tom. Um, so then I mix all of that in a bowl and I get to college. And now I've, I've hit kind of a don't give a fuck phase. And I'm just being funny and, and vulgar. And I learned that if I'm like dirty sexual jokes... If a girl is actually enjoying that, that's a girl who's probably going to have sex with me. <laughs> uh, and then I started, and I felt really good. Like, it was such a huge ego boost to have sex with someone. Even if I wasn't physically attracted to that person. If she just wanted it, and I could get it, I was on fucking cloud nine. Uh, so that that's part of it. Like, the fact that I've been, that my self-worth has been so tied to whether or not I could get laid. So... The negative aspects of my adulthood, that's where it comes from. Yeah. It's uh, serious. Like, it's a heavy thing to kind of think about. And, and I've kind of processed and worked through that, like, through my 20s and early 30s to realize that my self-worth is not tied up yeah. to getting laid. Yeah. It helps. Uh, yeah. But it's not everything. It's not everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, I think that that like the the getting blessed might have something to do with how open I am in terms of kink and poly like normal people quote normal people (laughs) that didn't get sexually abused have maybe something special about sex there's something special about your sexuality that you want it for one person you don't want other people to see it it is still something that is private and special to be shared with one other person that, and I'm spitballing here based on my own experience. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. It may not be. And, and certainly in, and there's people that were abused that it's not true for them. Right. There's people that were not abused that are still kinky and poly. Right. So but I'm, I'm have, painting with a very broad brush. Yeah, because to, be, to be fair, we have had people on this podcast talk about experiencing some kind of catharsis um, through kink. Like working yeah. through some really negative experiences. So... And I don't know. I mean, I don't know. What, I don't know that that's been studied well enough because we don't understand the key community. Why would sex be studied well enough? Right. Like, uh, but getting, putting down my broad brush and getting back to my personal experience, yeah. uh, the reason, part of the reason why I enjoy burlesque or enjoy going to a BDSM dungeon or, or enjoying nudist events is the total lack of shame because I've carried around so much shame. For this, that when you get to one of the things, oh, it's okay that you like feet. It's okay that you use rope and whips. It's okay. Whatever you do, if it's consensual, it's okay. That complete lack of shame is very cathartic to me. Yeah. It's like, and especially because you just started talking about it. Like, yeah. But you could just put the weight of that to the side for like a couple of hours, enjoy yeah. yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you see any other, do you see any, like, connections? We've talked a lot about sometimes things in your childhood, like, shape your kinks or things like that. They can, doesn't necessarily go both ways. Like, this is broad strokes, again. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's influenced any of what you like? Even in terms of, like, power and control and and things like that? Well, I ain't scared of dicks. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> like I watch. Like, yeah, there's one swing around that. <laughs> uh, like I watch gangbang porn. Like, I, I, there's something. Again, it's a lack of shame that a woman can be a slut and fuck yeah. a bunch of dudes at once. And because I'm not scared of dicks, I can enjoy that type of scene. Uh, I think I think I would enjoy being a part of like an actual gangbang. Uh, I got a couple of friends that are like, yeah, I would like that. That are women that want to experience a gangbang. And I'm like, if you do, put me on the list. <laughs> uh, Sign me up. And so yeah, so I think that's part of it. Like I've, uh, we recently had uh, our first orgy. Uh, I don't know what. People consider like the minimum amount of people for orgy. <laughs> for us, it was four. It was just uh, us and one other couple. Yeah, I think um, that's on the gray. I think that's the line. Yeah, Somewhere like four there. is debatable. Five definitely, definitely. an orgy. Yeah, for uh, sure. Especially if there are some bisexual people <laughs> in the room. Like that, that makes it a little more cohesive. Yeah, it's very. Bisexuals interesting. are the glue that hold an orgy together. <laughs> very uh, true. But yeah, but there's been times where like uh, like in group sex like that where the guy. We go around. I'm kind of having sex with a girl, and then he'll reach around and like slap her ass, or like try to like put a finger in her ass, or, or she's not quite. I'm not quite inside of her, but she's on top of me. And then he'll go around to finger or something like that, and then like touches my balls or something. And I'm like, that's eh, fine. <laughs> like that. The fact that I'm not afraid of dicks makes group sex a lot easier. <laughs> Silver lining. Yes, yeah. I would still. I would definitely folks. be down to try a double penetration. Like and you know, like in a woman, the skin between your vagina and your anus is very thin. Yeah, I've heard you can feel. If you're if you're double penetration, you're basically just rubbing dick and balls together. Like there's no way to avoid some kind of contact. I ain't, I ain't scared. Ain't scared. Oh my god, I'm gonna get you one of those bumper stickers. It's gonna be so nice. This is so fun. Um, you wanted to talk about the difference. Between a pedophile and a child monster. You should yes. enlighten me because I don't know. Thank you for remembering that. Um, so a pedophile is someone who is attracted to children. You do not become a child molester until you act upon those urges. So it's been long established um, that people do not choose their sexuality. Mm -hmm. You did not choose to be gay any more than I chose to be straight. It's just who you are. If we're going to accept that as a truth... Then the same is true for someone who is attracted to children. They didn't choose it. It's just, in this case, definitely a, a mental defect. Um, yeah. So it's about teaching people how to cope with it. Teaching people how to cope with it. And when we shame pedophiles, again, keeping pedophiles separate from child molesters, so someone who is attracted to children but has not acted on those urges, when we shame and demonize and fucking ropes and pitchforks after these people, they do not feel comfortable outing themselves. You can't say you're attracted to children. And therefore, you cannot get the mental health that you very, very much need. Yeah. And when you don't get the mental help you need, you end up abusing people. Yeah, because I think, like, as, like, a pro mental health, working in mental health in my past, like, most a lot of people I know would struggle to see that person as a client. It's a hard thing to do, to like separate, and so there needs people who are like specially trained to deal with this kind of thing. And it needs to not be so. We need to recognize it's a problem and actually create a solution. 
We can shame child molesters because yes. they've abused they people. It. That's not consent. A child does not have the ability to consent. They don't know what they're doing. We have no business shaming pedophiles. If they're looking to get help, if they recognize they have a problem and they really want to get help and not act on their urges, we can't shame those people because shaming them is what puts them in the darkness and they end up abusing more kids. You're harming kids by shaming those people. And, and it's a very, very uncomfortable truth. Yeah. Like, we need to be very realistic. Yeah. And we've been trying uh, shaming them for ever. ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has not really worked. No. I mean, it's kind of like it's a harm reduction technique yeah. in terms of child sexual abuse. It's like, I'm uncomfortable that we have to do this, but we fucking have to. And I would say anyone that's in that line of work that has a pedophile client, help them. Well, Don't yeah. refuse that. Now, again, if they've acted on it, they deserve justice. They need to go to court, assuming that their you know, accuser, abuser, the people that they've abused can do that. Um, I still kind of feel guilty about myself for not. But if you haven't acted on it and you're seeking help, if you as a, as a mental health professional aren't capable of helping that person, refer them. you better damn sure refer them. Yeah, you get them to someone equipped to handle it. And you can go to your church for help. Don't go to your church alone for help with any of these kind of like yeah. sexual abuse issues. Yeah. On the whole, they're not. They can provide amazing support. But I think people around here, they like go to their pastor. That's not, that's a great support. That's not the only thing you need to be doing. It's not because many times they're just going to make you pray about it and then God doesn't say anything and you abuse a kid. Yeah, they're just not... Um, that is literally exactly what happened to me. Not equipped to yeah. deal with it. They're not the right people. But yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. I mean, we have got to just try something different and that seems like the most practical thing to do. I've heard a lot of... Um, <clears throat> since you can't be public about it in your own community, like... There are online support groups for men that experience sexual attraction towards children but are really, really trying not to act on it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, also plugging people into stuff like that, finding some kind of people who can understand what they're going through without judgment. Right. And I feel like that would be extremely valuable for people. I saw a documentary, maybe on TLC, I don't remember where I saw it, but it was about a guy who was a pedophile. And at this time, I'm thinking, fuck that guy. String him up, I'm as angry as anybody else would be. And then you hear this guy say, well, I was a kid, I was attracted to other kids. And I just never grew out of that. And when you start to hear this person talk about their sexuality and their experience as it relates to children, you're like, fuck, you really were born this way just like everybody else and that the guy that they interviewed uh, at least claimed that he had never touched a kid and that he was going to therapy and making doing everything he could to not act on that uh, and that's as gross as it is and if you're trying to get help that's the only thing you can do right like more power to you yeah <clears throat> what do you think we have talked a lot about sex work on this podcast, and I listened to a podcast about August Ames. Oh, the porn star that committed suicide yeah. recently. And her history of abuse. I, 
I think something that came up in a lot of John Ronson's work around the sex industry is like a lot of these women have a history of sexual abuse and I think we on the whole talk positively about sex work but I'm like what is it about it that specifically draws a lot of people who've been through that kind of trauma I don't know what do you think about it I mean I think I'm going to go back to painting with a broad brush again but that's it's not as special to them it becomes more like an activity uh, I've even compared it like with my own uh, ability to have sex with a lot of people <laughs> uh, that some people are just friends and they play basketball together and other people are friends and they have sex together <laughs> but it's just, just an activity hobby. just a hobby and an activity uh, and then if you're a young woman specifically uh, you realize not only do I kind of not care or I can have this this emotional detachment from my sexuality but also I can fucking make good money <laughs> doing this not everyone has the ability to have sex on camera and legitimately be comfortable anybody can get fucked but if you're gonna make money in the entertainment industry you gotta have some charisma and sell it yeah and to be able you have to have some level of disconnect that maybe and this is me spitballing again with a paint with a broad brush that maybe that comes largely if not entirely but somewhat from sexual abuse yes which i makes me sad it doesn't to me i mean it makes me sad that sexual abuse occurs but fuck you found a way to cope with it whether it's through kink like we've had the people on the podcast that did their dungeon scenes in uh, about their own rape but are they i mean there's a lot not to stereotype it's not everyone but there's a lot of like bad there's a lot of like drug use and other things like that ways to cope and, and, uh, to dealing with the separation between your mental and emotional and physical body i think mm -hmm. that might be part of why do you mean drug abuse in adult entertainment or do you use drug abuse in general to deal with past um, trauma no sex work sex work probably yeah i mean there there is it's not i mean if you know enough strippers it's not hard to to go in the club and find some cocaine if you if you want to like right. if you know a few of them personally and they trust you you can uh fuck i've even had a stripper that i didn't know offer me cocaine <laughs> so it's like, uh yeah i mean i think there's a lot of mental health issues that can come through sex abuse and not everyone handles it well mm -hmm. that's very true um some people can't i think some people can even through sex work I think it's just so complicated. It is, and it's so many people that have been abused. Mm -hmm. Children, adults, there's a lot more. We think you feel alone. As a person who has been abused, you feel very much like nobody else had this experience. Uh, and that's, that's not true. A lot of other people have had this experience. Yeah, I think the stat I saw in Rain, which is, let me look this up. Um, it is a, the nation's largest anti-sexual violence um, organization. It's something like every nine minutes a child abuse, like sexual abuse report is substantiated. Every wow. nine minutes. I mean, it's just happening. And those are the ones that get to that level, right? right? Which we know it's underreported. Of course. 
it's way more common because people have not been talking about it. You can't measure it if no one will admit yeah. to the problem. And so it frightens me to think about how many people are carrying around this shit with them like all the time. And gosh, it's so heavy. It is. And I think the, the first step as a society to helping reduce the amount of sexual abuse is just believe people when they say they were abused. I know somebody can't necessarily lose their job or go to jail if you don't have a rape kit or some kind of evidence. But the, the least we can do is believe these people, all of them, and take their accounts seriously. Yeah. Yes. Stop excusing away behavior of abusers because it makes you uncomfortable to have to deal with it. Right. And all you're doing when you say... Why did they wait this long? Why are they trying to ruin this person's reputation? You're telling everyone in your life that has been abused that they can't trust you. Yeah. Like, why and you're would I... building, continuing to build that web of oppression to people who have been sexually abused. Tom, I'm so proud of you. Ah, okay. How you feel? <laughs> I know you, this is going to be a little too mushy for you. But I am really proud of you. I know this is not an easy thing to do. No. And to it's dig not. into your unpleasant memories and to do that with the effort of making helping other people and all that's very admirable. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully some we can build a society where people who have been sexually abused feel more comfortable talking about it. Where it doesn't have to be an act of courage. Right. It is what happens. And yeah. we just didn't deal with it. One day, maybe. <laughs> yep. Until then, people like Nick Lim Nick Limbarakis and his bitch mom Bonnie and his even worse sister <laughs> can fuck right off a cliff. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. I'm gonna give some resources before Please we do. wrap up. So the content of this was pretty heavy. If you are dealing with any um, issues around repressed memories coming up, any sexual abuse, anything like that that you haven't dealt with. I want to give you guys some resources. Um, if you're in the Tulsa area, you can call Domestic Violence Intervention Services, 918-743-5763, and get connected to therapy and other resources. Um, if you just want to talk to someone, there's a national sexual assault hotline 1-800-656-4673 rain.org has a bunch of lists of warning signs things like that um and if you can find someone in your life to talk to about this um someone that's supportive and loves you it probably would feel pretty good to get off your chest it will but you got to find the right person to talk to about it like yeah. the internet the internet's good. <laughs> yeah, just record it and put it on the internet. It's amazing. It's yeah. an amazing thing to do. It is. I love the internet. Well, thank you all for joining us for our 50th episode. Yeah. Milestone. It's a big one. Um, I'm Lauren Turner. I'm Tom King. And this has been Digital Intercourse. <laughs>